Welcome to the Auto Action Rev Limiter. Your host, Andrew Clark, is joined by heavy hitters Paul Gover and Bruce Williams. Time to get down and dirty. It comes down to whether or not they're prepared to play the same game as him. You jump in the pool with the shark. Oh, I didn't know he was going to bite my foot off. Just happened in the sport. This is the Auto Action Rev Limiter. This week, we're going to look at the Newcastle 500 and the dawn of the Gen 3 supercars era, the sport's biggest change in three decades. Race Recap. I'm going to give you a wrap-up in two guys. Brody Kostecki had speed and sat comfortably on the pole, but that was as good as it got for him. From there, it was all about Shane Van Diesbergen and Red Bull Ampole racing as he headed a 1-2 finish. But all was not good in that camp. The multiple protests were lodged as the teams and officials watched them putting dry ice into both cars, 88 and 97. They had a second driver cooling system in place and the 888 Cornella became a double disqualification, but more of that later. Cam Waters, who finished third, was the new winner and Chas Mostert and Brody Kostecki were promoted to the podium as the trophies moved up and down pit lane. Every car took the chequered flag and only Nick Perkett and Tim Slade had issues that cost them laps. Pretty impressive given the state of these cars four weeks ago. In the Sunday shootout, we got the first test of the crash repairability of the cars. Eh, it kind of failed, really. Most people think if it was an old car that crashed, James Corden would have made the race, but a lack of familiarity with the cars made that tough. Declan Fraser, also from Tickford, threw a second test at the cars when he slammed into the wall at the start, but we'll have to have a look at that one in the next issue of Auto Action, as they're only working on that when it gets back to the workshop. The Sunday race was more entertaining than Saturday, but perhaps only because Triple Eight put Giz on a strategy that had him hunting down Mostert for the lead, but only Cam Waters had thrown away his chances when he clipped the inside wall while challenging for the lead. It was a bump and run and queries over the need for redress, but it didn't matter because it didn't come. Van Gisbergen won for Mostert and Reynolds. Mostert left round one with the series lead just as he did last year, but this time with Brody Kostecki and Cam Waters snapping in his heels. Erebus leads the team's title. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 News know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 and the build up to the 1,000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. We've got a couple of people to talk with. Um, we've got one of the most suspected motorsport riders in uh, Australian motorsport, so Paul Gover, PG, welcome to the Rev Limiter. It's great to be here. Have a bit of fun, dig into a few things and uh, tear down a few icons. And speaking of icons, we've also got Bruce Williams, the publisher and editor of Auto Action. So, uh, you too, Bruce. Thanks, Clarkie. This will hopefully be the uh, beginning of a regular sparring session. Two of the big heavyweights of the uh, motorsport media in Australia, and I do mean that in heavyweight division. Let's get right into it. Um, let's talk about the new cars. I mean, that's what Newcastle was all about this weekend. PG, you were at the track with me. What were your first thoughts when you saw these things? I think they look fantastic. They look like road cars hotted up. They make a good noise. And uh, later in the day, when the sun was going down a little bit, flames out the side. So first thing they have to do is tick the big and sexy and loud box. They ticked all that. 
and all the rest of it's just infighting in the pit lane, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. But it's funny, isn't it? When you see them on the track, you, you see how wide they are, and then you look up on the television screen, and it looks like an old supercar thing running on the wrong wrong proportions, isn't it? It's, a, it's quite a weird experience, I think, when you look at them on the screen. Yeah, well, I was. You can remind me again because I got it wrong yesterday. What what are the TV proportions? It's like watching a picture from four seven or eight. It's four three stretched out to sixteen nine. So at the track, sensational. What about on the TV uh, from the lounge room, Bruce? What was happening? It was uh, it was an interesting experience. I mean, I, I'm not going to be critical about any of the stuff that went on because I think it was a pretty amazing effort that we're actually able to watch it on the TV. There were 25 cars started the first race. Realistically, the race the, the racing was always going to be a challenge from the point of view of we we still don't know too much about these new cars. They look good on TV. There was a lot of time being spent trying to explain what was going on and justify the the new build and try and get everybody pumped up. But as I said, I wasn't disappointed with what I saw on TV from the point of view that I had a pretty low expectation, I suppose. So you're saying the race on Saturday was just a procession like everybody else, are you, Bruce? Look, you you couldn't go to a worse track to roll out a brand new generation of race cars and expect the racing to be close. It's a difficult track to pass on. And because the speeds are so slow, a one-second gap is quite a big distance when it comes to the the gap between the cars. And... You know, it's not hard to lose a tenth or half a tenth of a second a lap around a place like that and suddenly be left behind. It was quite interesting. When Kostecki was leading the race, he was obviously a bit of a cork in the bottle. The next five or six cars were quite closely bunched up. But once he was, um, once he got, you know, he was out of the way, it really was then a matter of how far Triple Eight were going to win by. I couldn't really see anybody else getting close to them, despite the fact that they didn't look to be doing it that that tough. I think the thing is, and um, and the the talk coming back was that um, they were okay following because the temperature didn't rise in the engines, but because of the lower downforce and the heat coming out of the cars, they were still sliding across the track with their front tyres, and so the front tyres were going off. So they weren't getting the bite or the ability to overtake that they were hoping for simply because of this and you know maybe somewhere else it'll be different maybe the grand prix is going to be a completely different fact the grand prix will be a completely different story but you know they they were coming back saying they weren't as easy to overtake as they were expecting it's a very interesting track it's a low front grip track anyway there's no aero to speak of whatever aero those cars have got on the moment you know they're probably only one or two corners on that track that would even go close to generating any downforce so yeah, as you see, Clarky, once the front tyres get hot from the heat coming off the cars in front, they start to introduce understeer. The understeer grows and the tyres get hotter and they get more understeer. So it's just... your name Brock Feeney because that's <laughs> that's what he was saying all of the time on Saturday. Just, you know, oh, I couldn't do anything, I couldn't do anything. And uh, then, of course, we reminded him that his teammate had overtaken him. But as we'd already heard on the radio, <laughs> oh, I didn't think we were racing. Hello, it's Shane Van Gisbergen, right? You jump in the pool with the shark and, oh, I didn't know he was going to bite my foot off. It was a pretty strange comment to make, wasn't it, when you say when you know Van Gisberg and he just doesn't, he's not going to give in to anybody. Has, so has he, but had you, he not watched the, the tapes and seen what he used to do to, to his uh, uh, his previous teammate, oh, who was also the team <laughs> owner, if I remember correctly? <laughs> Hang on, just here's something to think about. The racing, there was racing and passing on the track yeah. and all that, a lot of stuff going on. It wasn't. I don't totally blame the racing. It wasn't too bad. I, the commentators started going into um, analytical mode during the race and not talking about the racing was going on track. You're right, Nev. They weren't talking to the pitchers. They were talking to the script. Yeah. Did you, Bruce? Did you feel that on the telecast? 
Yeah, look, I, I think, again, the, the first day was all about justifying the existence and basically trying to pump up how great the cars were and talk about how great it was that everybody had achieved the result and there was a lot of mutual backslapping going on and all that sort of stuff and with justification, I suppose. From the team's point of view, they were thrown a hand grenade because basically none of them got any bits until the end of last year. You know, despite the fact that they had two years or more to get the cars to that stage. So the teams themselves did an awesome job. And, you know, credit to the guys that were running at the front of the field. Obviously, uh, Triple Eight that have had a little bit more experience with these cars and probably had a head start on a bit of the development. And No, no. See, the interesting thing about that is, and I talked to both Triple Eight guys and the DJR guys, they were the homologation teams for the engine installation and the bodywork, not for testing. Everybody assumed that they'd had a lot more testing and therefore that's why Triple Eight did so well and that's what was what the heck had happened at DJR. But actually, they were telling me that in terms of actual um, race prep testing setup, all of that sort of stuff that everybody else had to do, they were line ball with everybody else. They had. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I don't disagree with that, Paul, and that's not what I'm talking about. The fact is that they've had experience and knowledge and they do have understandings. I mean, it's not like they were kept in the dark about what goes on when they wanted to make changes to the car. So they've, they've had experience, they've had hands-on, they've they've touched and felt the cars for the last 12 or 18 months yeah. or whatever it is. So they've, yeah. they've had an understanding. They know which bolt goes in where and so on and so forth. But that aside, the rest of the field did a great job and it was obvious that Triple Eight didn't quite get their act together in qualifying. And, and it, as I said, it's credit to all the teams that they got there. And the only uh, DNF on Saturday was Nick Perkett's car, and I believe he had some sort of a master cylinder failure, which has probably got nothing to do with the build of the cars. It's just a, a one-off anomaly that yep. could have happened in anybody's car in any category. So yep. the only other cars that didn't finish were the cars that basically didn't start on Sunday. So we are going to dig a little bit deeper in a couple of minutes on all of this sort of stuff, but let's just quickly, we've got two races um, what I want from you, each of you, PG and Bruce, give me a rating for each of the two races and a one-sentence explanation. And, by the way, we are going to keep this. At the end of the year, we're going to have a, a best race and worst race award to give out. So, so let's go first. PG, um, race one. Uh, six. Six out of ten. Cars look sensational, a bit processional. Um, second race, eight out of ten. It was a bit of a chess game early on, trying to work out who was going to do what. But once the pieces were all in play... And we had Van Gisberg and hunting down Mostert. And we had, is Davy Reynolds going to cramp and flake out? And some of the midfield battles were quite good as well. And the and the other thing about the second race was they weren't driving around thinking about the fact that if they did something bad, there were no spare parts for the following day. So that was a big consideration on Saturday, as far as I can see. They Nobody had any bits. And in fact, I didn't talk to, talk to a single team who had spare doors. And most of the teams only had one, they're not even called a nose cone anymore, but the bit at the front, um, most of them had one uh, between two cars. Some had a couple more than that. Yeah, and then we saw that on um, on Sunday when we had the big crash at some point, or a small crash, actually, that turned into a big one. Uh, Bruce? I think Saturday's race was probably a six or seven out of ten. It really was an extended test session. And I think a lot of people, a lot of the guys, the teams, the drivers were out there trying to work out what they had, how long it would last, and then the uh, a bit of racing started towards the end. And I think PJ hit it on the head. Nobody was doing anything crazy in that first race because they knew that if they did too much damage, Sunday was going to be difficult for them. So Sunday's race was a bit different. Um, obviously, qualifying was there was a bit more hard edge to it. 
obviously with a bit more knowledge, some some people rolled the dice and played some uh, some tactical games, and Triple Eight came out on top. I mean, it's one of points? those things. Sunday's race, I give that a seven and a half out of out of ten. Cool. Well, I'm going to go a little bit harsher. I thought Saturday's race was dog boring, and I'm giving it four. Hang on, hang on. It can't be a four. You didn't fall asleep. You're sitting next to me. You were still awake. A four's right on the. It's putting me to sleep <laughs> level, Clarky. Well, that might be for you, but four for me was um, was I'm not engaged. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> it was pretty obvious to me right from very early on that that was a um, a Red Bull one two coming. It was just um, for me. It was just that. So let's go in. We're going to dig a little deeper. I've got questions for each of you. Are they multiple choice? I'm always much better at multiple choice. Okay. Well, there's, there's a yes or no on this oh, one. Okay, Triple Eight disqualification. Fair or not? Uh, yes, fair on what I've heard so far. It's going to go to the law courts, and there is more to come on this. That was the second question. Anyway, Bruce. <laughs> There was a lot, everybody was learning. They were still making it up as they were going along. The fact is that there, there would have been several blank pages at the end of the technical regulations book, which they were adding numbers to and words to as they go along. Triple Eight aren't stupid. They obviously thought they were doing something that was acceptable and turned out they weren't. I'm sure if none of the teams had protested, nothing else would happen. Uh, from my side, uh, I reckon you run illegal cars, you're running the gauntlet. Um, if they did get verbal say, then they should have had a written say. So um, I reckon it was a pretty fair call on that side. And uh, as to the second part of my question, which PG answered, um, it will end up in court. Triple H's got track record. They'll, uh, they'll run it as far as they can. If everybody thought that by giving Triple Eight a whack at the start of the year was going to do them any favours, I think they'd probably find out. <laughs> it's a bit Good like the wounded, uh, the wounded lion. They come back even nastier and with more venom than they had before. No, it's what? It's much worse than that. Much worse. It's two. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen on Chaz Mostert. Mostert's fault. If you watch it in slow-mo, um, you'll see that Gisbergen was already there and, and actually Chazzy bumps into him, not the other way around. Um, interestingly, because I'm, a, I'm an old-school court reporter, I went and found Craig Baird and that's what he told me the, uh, what the reading of the thing was. And as I pointed out at the time when uh, all the people in the WAU pit that I was standing in were cheering, anyway, he gave uh, he gave Mozzie a free kick to pay him back on the way past anyway. Yeah. Which was a good bit of fun, I thought. Yeah, well, and, and we need more of that. You know what I mean? There was no consequence to it, but it showed that the bloke's got some emotion. Like, yes, get in there and kick him, even if you can only kick him in the bum as he's driving away from you. <laughs> well, at least you'll remember it. It was all a bit pointless, really. I mean, Shane had so much more speed. Chaz was going to try and block for as long as he can. There was probably a risk that if Chaz was probably lucky he didn't end up in the tyres because if he ended up in the tyres, then I reckon Shane might have been in trouble. But it was all kiss, kisses and cuddles and, you know, Chaz, he uh, gave him one to go on with. Oh, you know, made himself look a bit, oh, geez, I'm not happy about it. It was just a love tap. I mean, yeah, seriously. It's, it's good. It was fine. nothing more than a pat on the back, bum and saying, good on you, mate. Come on past. Yeah, and I'm fine with it as well. I think, uh, you know, we want people to race. We don't want them to become Nancys and um, do nothing. So let's get into the next point. Shane Van Gisbergen. Now, we've got a few things to unpack here. Is he unbeatable? Well, he certainly is. I mean, anybody's unbeatable. I think the problem that Shane's dealing with at the moment is um, he's obviously an angry man and got he's basically appears to have the shits with the world, certainly with supercar racing at the moment. And I suppose while he's got that anger and that hunger and, as he says, he's doing his talking on the track, 
Um, but at some stage, these other guys will will uh, get their act together and it comes down to whether or not they're prepared to play the same game as him. There's no doubt Triple Eight tactically, they put him in the best spot. They know how to position him on the track to beat the other guys. The other guys have got to work out how to get their track position and try and dominate him and not get bullied. Yep. PG? Uh, he's unbeatable. The only thing that's going to change that is if Mostert learns how to drive without burning the back tyres off the car because he's doing it again this year, which is what cost him last year. One of the things that's going to come and rear its ugly head is that this throttle response position, this burning the back tyres off the other cars, that's not a mozzy situation. That's a situation with a car. I believe when Shane drove both the cars at Queensland Raceway a month or six weeks ago, he basically said the, the Mustang was undrivable. Yeah, but since then they've changed the engine tune. Yeah, well, they they may have changed the maps a little bit, but basically it's coming down to an issue with there's a different throttle response on the Coyote motor to the Camaro engine. So right now that's part of the problem. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing is Shane knows how to look after his tyres. I was reading some stuff yep. from the weekend uh, from Alonso, from their test driver and also from Lance Stroll, who just said they can't believe he can go that fast and not hurt the tyres. And, and, you know, you can, you're dead right, and you can see it, but in both of the races, Shane was sort of appearing to be nowhere for the first 10 or 15 minutes, the first 15 minutes of the race. Yep. He cruised around in fifth. He gently tried to defend, and he, he's been doing it for years. Whenever he has a pit stop, the first few two or three laps are quite re- are relatively slow. Yep. He's very careful to build up temperature and pressure in the tyres, and then he goes for it. And that he just did that again on the weekend. Yeah, and I think it's a case of um, good driver, smart driver, best team, smart team. It's a pretty fearsome package. I, I think if somebody is going to beat him, they're going to have to put in a monumental effort from here. So, Nev, roll that video for me, or the audio, actually, and let's, uh, let's have a listen to what Shane was like in the press conference yesterday. My question's to Shane. Uh, Shane... Uh, bouncing back, uh, I imagine there was a bit of disappointment with the team today. So did that yep. make today's race win even a little bit sweeter? Yeah, so basically just repeat what I said on track. Like, thanks to my team, our cars were awesome. Um, but yeah, all our talking was done on the track today. So thank you. There was a uh, little... No, mate, it's a press conference. We've got to ask you questions. There was obviously that battle at turn nine between <laughs> yourself and Chaz. Uh, can you talk us yeah. through it just from your point of view? All the talking was done on track today. Mate, thank come you. on. Are you serious? Yes. It's a press conference. There's a room full of journalists. We don't get you at any other point of the weekend. Yep. You've come up here to answer questions. It's not even a hard question. Okay. It's a fair question. Can okay. you talk us through the move at turn nine? Yeah, it happened. Our talking was done on the track today. Thank you. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well then, if anyone else would like a, uh, an opportunity to ask Shane a question, be my guest. I'm here too. <laughs> Shane, do you think this helps your image or promotes supercars by being this obstinate with the press? Oh, I don't know, like I tried to just knuckle down and focus and then I said a lot of stuff yesterday tried to open up a bit more and maybe it's bit me in the arse, so I just focus on driving. Oh, I just said the truth about the cars, I guess, and tried to be honest and goes down the wrong way, so I focus That's on my driving. My world. <laughs> yeah. Where's the pressure coming from? Where, where do you feel like you're being uh, pushed? Is it from I, the I press? I just want to focus on my driving, man. And 
That's what I do best. Okay. Let's go to Chaz. He might be up for a chat. What do you reckon? Mark Scaife got stuck into him after he saw that video. Is uh, Scaifey fair in the criticism he was handing out to Van Gisbergen? Go first this time, PG. Of course he was. And you've got to remember that Scaife was an ugly interview himself at times. Look, just engage. That's all he has to do, right? He's paid to be a race car driver. He's supposed to be a worthy champion. Champions don't carry on like that. He made Nick Kurios look like he was calm and, and well-considered. And the seething anger inside the bloke while he was... It wasn't just... <laughs> and, and you were there, Clarkie. It wasn't just Sunday, was it? And you know the thing that really, really gets up me is that forget the way, the, the way he treats the media. We're used to it, right? He's been treating me like that since he turned up in supercars. What really, really annoys me, I spend a lot of time in the back of the garages, in and around the garages... You know how many autographs I saw him sign over the whole weekend? Zero, not one. I saw him snub little kids. I saw him walk away from fans. I saw him walk straight through the crowd at the back of the garage all the time. Jamie Winkup used to do similar sort of thing, but he didn't look at the ground and deliberately not engage. And at the end of the day, Jamie, when he had some time, he would come out and talk to people and he did sign things. This bloke's got no idea what it means to be a worthy champion. It's not about point scores and champagne and chug-a-lugging with your mates at Triple Eight at the end of the day. It's, it's a much bigger job than And it is. Being a champion is a job. It's interesting, you know, Garth Tander talking about how articulate he can be when he wants to be. We don't see that very often. Neither does Garth. Yeah, yeah. No, I, look, I think this, I get a little bit tired of people trying to defend uh, SVG, what a great bloke he is away from the track and all that sort of stuff. I couldn't care less what he's like away from the track. I'm paying my 75 or 80 bucks a day to go and watch this guy race. But at the end of the day, his, his performance with show, not showing up on the first podium on Saturday was nothing short of embarrassing. If he yeah. was an AFL player and he did that, he would be copping a big fine. We're not talking 250 bucks. He'd be probably copping a five or $10,000 or $15,000 fine. Don't start me on Davy Reynolds because I'm hoping we're going to get the chance to talk about him. <laughs> but but Shane, I don't know what the problem with Shane is. I mean, I admire the guy for his driving abilities. He's he can drive a rally car, a supercar, a GT car. He's amazing. But he's just well, he can drive a sprint car, yeah. But at the end of the day, I don't know what he's got the shits with the world about. Look, I I, I get it that sometimes that that people get upset and annoyed and they decide that they're going to shut down because they don't want to talk to anybody. But the reality is, these guys get paid a shit ton of money to drive those racing cars. And a little bit of acknowledgement of the fact that other people want to know what they think would be more than helpful. I think it's actually about a sense of common decency. I, I don't think any journalists have shown him the disrespect that he shows to us. And I find that pretty hard to cop most of the time. <clears throat> I get a bit sick and tired, to be honest. I get sick and tired of people making excuses for him. I don't reckon it was his stuff up with the cool suit and the dry ice going in the car. You know, he's the one that seems to be wanting to bear the brunt of it and yeah, carry on. he was on the and... one who was carrying on. Like, he was making out that his comments in the Saturday or the Friday press conference about his feet getting hot was the reason. Hang on. Hey, you talked about that he could be grumpy because of the disqualification, but it, there's another thing going on here where he may have been told off for saying negative things about the cars. Don't care, Nev. Don't care. Yeah, no, I understand. I so understand. As far as I'm concerned, if he won't talk to us about who told him off, it didn't happen. It's been going on. I mean, he's yeah. t- Scaife told him off at the Adelaide 500. Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, he doesn't like driving these cars. For whatever reason, they don't suit him. 
maybe he'll grow to like them. At the moment, he, he's, he's, he's obviously pissed off with everybody about whatever whole heap of issues, God knows what they all are. But I reckon we just move on. Maybe somebody up there in authority will yep. have a little chat to him. Because I think, to be honest, He's probably quite an interesting dude. Yes. I'd like him to crack the shits and say, hey, you dickhead, you from auto action, I don't like what you've had to say to me and these are the reasons why. I've had that discussion. doesn't work. <laughs> Excellent. All, all credit to uh, Chad Nalon. He really tried hard. He didn't, get, he didn't um, let up on SVG. He, really, he, he was actually pretty annoyed and uh, yeah. Chad is part of that group. He's, he's in there. They're all matey and all that sort of stuff. So... He was pretty pissed off about that, and I all due credit to him for trying to um, get Shane to answer the question. And then, of course, you got Chaz saying, well, hang on, I'm here, I'll talk. And importantly, when we get to our stars of the week, we could have put Chad Nalen in there because I thought it was a first-class performance. Good on him, good effort. We're going to touch a little bit on some of the stuff we've already spoken about here. So Ryan Walkinshaw said Triple eight has been testing for most of last year, and we've only had six days, so we have a bit of a discrepancy. Fair call from Ryan or Bullshit. a rough call? Excuse I'm there too. Let's go on. DJR, where the hell did they go? Can I explain something to you about how life works? <laughs> My father used to have a ginger beer plant, and that ginger beer plant was seven or eight years old, and that plant used to make the best ginger beer. It was You basically kept the same plant alive I, I and like alive and alive. Why is he not we here? all love ginger beer. Well, I do anyway. I think, unfortunately, and I'm using as a bit of a metaphor, DJR have been living on the uh, ginger beer plant that was once Penske organisation, and I reckon they might have let that plant die because now they're trying to start it up again. And to be honest, I reckon it's it's not looking too good. PG? I think you've got two drivers who are troublesome. One of them only loves the car that he loves, and that car doesn't exist anymore. That'll be Davo. And the <laughs> other bloke checked out halfway through last year. I don't know where he's gone, but he's out in the wilderness. And then you've got an engineering group who are a bunch of young guys and Ludo. And then you've got all new team management. Now, Ben Croke is a ripper bloke, but how do you control all the engineers? And this is one of the problems with the category. There are too many engineers. Isn't that what we were trying to get away from in this? That you were bringing in control, all these control components is, was to get rid of those people? Yeah, but the, the whole thing is you can have as many control components as you like, but the engineers are going to, still going to go two clicks here and one click there and do this and do that and do the other thing. You know, at some point... In every form of motorsport, Bruce will tell you, he roasted at the Thunderdome, for goodness sake. At some point, you just go, look, that's as good as we can make it right now. Get out and wring its neck. And what's happened with DJR is, it looked to me like they're both on the sook. But they're two drivers who can't do that, I think, is the bottom line. They, they're drivers who like the car to be perfect. And when it's perfect, we're going to see great times and great speed. But I reckon that's where they're at. I think what's happened in recent times is, it's like the old days, and I don't want to sound like an old tosser, but, you know, there was a time when drivers would grab a car by the throat and basically steer it around regardless of what it was doing. If, if it was misbehaving in a particular way, they'd find a way to drive around it. And that's one of the reasons why Gisberging's good. I mean, he finds a way to make the car work. It may not be the way he likes it, but he gets the car to work. And the guys that are able to do that will do it. Chaz is one of those guys that can do that too. He can get a car to work that's not that happy. Yeah. But it seems the DJR blokes, and they're looking, as you said, they're looking for perfection. Yeah. But it's pretty disappointing when you you see that, you know, the powerhouse that they once were has basically know. been doing a backslide. Yeah. Now, Tim Edwards, I spoke to him this afternoon about the crash damage on the Tickford car. And uh, he's uh, he's reserving his judgment at the moment as to how well these cars crash. Because he said it really wasn't that big. 
Uh, but two things. One, they've never pulled one apart, so they didn't know what they were doing. And they really just didn't have all the parts right and ready to go into the right hole. So uh, that's what stopped them from running. His greatest concern, though, was the bumpability. He said the two taps from Cam Waters and, Tony, and Thomas Randall weren't that big, yet it bent the heck out of the steering and cost them badly. So let's have a go. Crash damage. What do we reckon? Um, do we have any view yet on the on crash repairability of these things? I think they've made it blue. I think long term, I don't know whether it'll be it'll be this year, but the chassis they've made the wall thickness of the tubing that's that that's the chassis made from is the same wall thickness as the tubing of the front and rear um, bolt-on sections. So when they when those C cups are bolted together, the chassis doesn't know it's in three bits. So if you have a big enough hit, it's going to keep transferring the load. The chassis needs to be made out of slightly heavier material because at the moment it's it can theoretically just transfer the load. Yep. Mark, Mr. Scaife admitted that the damage was much more severe than he thought that they would have. They haven't crash tested one of these cars. And, well, they have now. <laughs> and, you know, they're all pretty keen to find out what happened. My, my own view is I think there'll be some changes. Um, I think Tim indicated that they weren't allowed to have a front clip ready to bolt on the front car fully assembled. I don't know if that's true or not. They didn't have one assembled. Yeah. But the reality is that most of these blokes have been flat out putting them together. They haven't yeah. been flat out pulling them apart yet. No. So that's yeah. a whole different set of spanners required. Yeah. Don't under- underestimate that hit. That that was a pretty solid hit. 18 Gs. That's a big hit. Really? He missed the tyres. He got yeah. the concrete. So the other thing, Paul, and I don't know whether you went down there while they were repairing it, there's an awful lot of interested onlookers from other teams. Oh, yeah. Everybody wanted to see it. But the other thing is... The guys who've been assembling car are probably the um, and not the race team mechanics necessarily, the fabrication blokes uh-huh. who've been working in the workshop. Tim said the blokes. Tim said the blokes pulling it apart with the blokes who built it. I, I think what is refreshing, and you said that other guys were coming down from the pits. There's none of this more secrecy shit where you get people yeah. standing in front of the car with with towels and blankets yeah. and tyres trying to hide stuff. I mean, it's pretty open. Everybody knows what everybody else is getting. certainly refreshing being able to take photographs inside engines and so forth. Anyway, we're running out of time, so let's move quickly through the next ones. Cam Waters. Should he have won that race? And uh, can he win the title, or is there a, is there a bit of a flaw there? Uh, there's still a bit missing. No um, I thought he, he's told me that he was going to come out of the out of the blocks hard, and I think he wanted to. I don't think he had the car under him. He, again... Good one lap pace, but over the race distance, still a bit of a question mark. I like Cam. I think he he has a go. That was the. I think that highlighted something about these cars. The the, the steering arms are very fragile. It was the lightest little yeah. rub on the inside of the wall. Like realistically, I can remember running car, Oz cars and Tiranas and things around. You should be able to bump the wall. Yeah, no. I, I honestly think that Cam. Um, will, as he has been over the last couple of years, be one of the front runners. The problem that Cam's got is he hasn't, apart from maybe James at the moment, got somebody else strong in the Tickford team yeah. to back him up. SVG's got a, a fantastic backup in Feeney. I mean, Feeney's not far yeah. off winning some more races. And I think Cam is probably... Nah, look, I like Cam. I like the way he races. I like his attitude. He has a crack. The thing about these cars that's interesting is that they could have put another set of boots on that car with a slightly different fuel load and could have turned it on. It could yeah. have been a rocket. Well, I, I personally think he was on track to win the race if he hadn't tapped yeah, the um, He would have been in front of Mostert by four or five seconds by the time Van Gisbergen got him. I think he would have won the race. Yeah, but it's all ifs and buts and maybes. There was a mistake. The car got damaged. 
Move on. Um, Erebus, we got one minute on them. Um, they'll kick on Saturday, but not on Sunday. Tried a new setup, didn't work. Went back to Saturday, setup didn't work. Um, which one's a twenty-three Erebus? Is it fast? No, or is I it think the, I think they're one of the impressive teams. They look to have gone forward, not as forward, far forward as say Grove and Premier, but you know they look strong. Uh, look, I think again, I, I I don't take too much out of what happened on the weekend. I think there were lots of people learning lots of things. Um, there's people probably trying d- different setups. I think that they probably put their eggs in the basket with with um, Gostecki to try and get him up the front. Will was sort of I'm not sure what Will was doing. He was there, thereabouts, but in that he was sort of that strong leader of the midfield. I think Erebus are fine. There's no, you know, there's not too many teams that aren't impressive in one way or another. Yep. Now, PG's working on an interesting story for the next issue of um, Auto Action, which is comparing the Erebus approach, which is we're going to build everything, to the Premier approaches, which I'm going to buy it all off Triple Eight. Um, I thought it worked really well for Premier, and I reckon they're um, they're, they're going to be a serious annoyance to a lot of the big teams this year. Well, if I had plenty of money, why would you spend all your time bolting shit together when you can just go and buy a car and go and race it? I mean, at the end of the day... Have you heard of Dane Tax? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, think, I, I don't, I don't know. Bothers him. I'm not sure that that's a big issue because uh, Jamie told me that you can buy a turnkey car for 650 and that seems to be the number. <laughs> Six hundred and fifty. That's the that's the figure. Yeah. That seems to be the, the number. Uh, the interesting chat I had with Peter Jaberis on um, on Sunday morning was that when Slade was driving around with that panel flapping, I thought, why didn't you bring it in early? Because you don't have any spare panels. He said, that's okay. We just bought another one. One last question before we move on, because this is um, the wheels and wheel nuts stuff was going on with these things. We were lucky that we had thirty second stationary fuel drops, oh, etc. What's going to happen at the Grand Prix? Are we uh, are we going to see disasters, or are we going to see the teams actually sort this out? Have you ever seen such careful wheel changing? I mean, it was beautiful. Wasn't and, it? And what about the bikes putting it on gently, mate? Like that's they- what I'm trying to say. You know, I'm surprised they didn't. They were using KY jelly. They weren't using anti seeds. <laughs> they wanted to make sure those bloody wheel nuts went on really gently. There yeah. was no. There was no, they were taking every precaution. Unless something happens, I reckon it's going to have a serious impact as to what happens at the Grand Prix. Now we've got one, two last little bits here for you. Stars and the duds. So, PG, who was your star? I haven't of the finished. Weekend? I wanted to say something about somebody else. Go on. You guys had a criticism of Shane Van Gisbergen. Davey Reynolds, right? Oh, yeah. let's go. Let's go. Nobody was really surprised about Shane's behaviour in the press conference. And but I was. The, no, look, at the end of the day, he made his point. He had a point to prove. He had the shits. Yep. That's okay. He we wasn't we He wasn't impolite. We knew what we were he, he, He's that sort of guy, and I am i wasn't offended by what SVG did. However, PG's best mate, Davey Reynolds, I've got to say, when the media conference started, he was sitting sideways on the desk and on his phone. Now, let me tell you, if he did that, at the AFL level, for a start, they're not allowed to have their phones in the in the rooms. Davey, I love you. We chat occasionally. I think you you're great for the sport when you when you're going really well. But seriously, mate, that was a pretty low performance. You got to remember, Dave, those media conferences, mate. Any any fan can watch them. So you're disrespecting everybody. It's just a really bad look. Let's move on. Stars, PG. Have you got any stars for me for the weekend? Who impressed you the most? Look, it has to be SVG. Um, I was also impressed by Chazzy Mostert, and I was impressed by James Golding. Bruce? I think Premier 
were stars because they had both cars in the top 10 in both qualifying sessions. They ran strong. It's great for the sport to see a team that fundamentally was one of the backmarkers who was just basically we didn't even consider them as a serious team, you know, a year or two years ago. So they're stars. The other stars and the teams and the guys put those cars together and got them on the track. And I think Scafi and I think Crompo, because that's what, how they refer to each other, <laughs> Scafo and Crompo and all, and Larco, they were all patting everybody on the back. And I think at the end of the day, I think that was a genuine thing. I mean, I was in Aubrey five weeks ago and there were four bare chassis in there with and no bits there to bolt on. They were standing around. There were guys driving backwards and forwards yeah. all over the countryside, flying in aeroplanes and bringing parts back in their luggage to get these cars built. Yeah, so my stars for the weekend, um, I was quite impressed with Brock Freeney on the Saturday, um, but I was really impressed with both James Golding and Tim Slade. I thought, you know, Slade, if he hadn't copped that two minutes of trying to trying to attach a wheel with the wheel nut, uh, I think he would have made a real noise on um, Saturday. I think young Todd in the cool drive car did well too. I think they looked yeah. pretty good con- considering how hard it must be to run a one-car team. Yep. Like, for God's sake. Not only that, not only that, but Tim Blanchard was off running a lot of the time running their Super 2 cars. John, Tim, for God's sake, get the checkbook out. Make supercars that an offer they can't refuse. Get the other license and get on with it. 26th TRC. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, give, give him another wreck, for now, God's sake. Here's our, here's our fun little section that uh, PG and I workshopped yesterday. This is the duds of the weekend, and we call it the not Smith and Jones. So who else Who else failed <laughs> well, to impress? That is dreadful. Who else failed to impress? Who were you disappointed with? Go on, Paul. You go first. Uh, DJR. Neither driver. They were just lost. They were duds. And the other dud was the bloke who's running last in the championship. Uh, Mostert's teammate. What's his name again? Oh, my God. Perkett. <laughs> was he there? To be, Come on, Bruce. To be fair... Um, he didn't. He did have a mechanical issue. No, I'm talking about his speed. Yeah, um, there's a bit of difference between him and uh, Chazzy. Mm. Matt Stone, they're not duds. They were right up there all weekend. Those two blokes look really good. I want Jack your duds. Le- I want your duds. No, no, Jack LeBrock <laughs> used to be a dud. I actually thought he went pretty well on the weekend. I think it did you see his new hairdo, Brucey? That's a bit of a dud, isn't is it? Is that an admission that he's bald? Right. Yes, it is. Oh. He said he's going bald. That's why it went off. Actually, I didn't mind the look. I thought it's... Sh- because he went from being that nice boy next door and with no ability to being look, looking a bit like a complete arsehole. So maybe he might go all right. Um, but I think, PG, as much and all as we probably get banned from the DJR pits again like we did last year, I, I, I'm with you. I think the big disappointment was DJR because, you know, the the, the Ford fight was left to uh, WAU and, and Cam Waters at Tickford and that was it. Yeah, they cop my duds for the weekend as well, but um, I, I, I think they can bounce back, or I'm hoping they can bounce back. So okay, hang on. Tradition, when are they going to bounce back? When they hit the bottom. I think we're going to get to it at Simmons Plains. I think they'll struggle. Oh, they're down on the bottom now. The people there who know and have been there, through, they are not happy. So now, I know you want to hear this because you haven't paid any attention to it all, but here's the championship top five for you. Chas Mostert, 276, leading, just like he was at the start of last year, remember? Brody Kostecki, unbelievable, 231 points, 45 off the pace. Cam Waters, could have had two wins, would have been 300 points, but he's on 219. And then we've got David Reynolds and Andre Heimgartner, equal on 207. So that's an interesting little outcome. It's a pretty interesting top five, and I would expect that those five guys are going to be the guys that fight it out. The teams, Coca-Cola Racing by Erebus, leads the team's championship, 417 points. 
Never before have they led the team's championship. So that's pretty impressive. Penrite Racing, like we haven't spoken much about them really either. 339. Brad Jones Racing, 18 and 4, 339. Team 18, 330. And Walkinshaw and Dreddy United on 312. So that's the top five teams in both the teams and the drivers. We're going to come and do this again next week in a different format because we're not going to be talking about the supercars. Maybe we'll have a chat about... Oh, we'll be talking about supercars, mate. Oh, you don't don't worry. It'll be... Nev's onto it. It's going to be pretty hard not to talk about what's going on in supercars because we'll probably cop a clip for this. Yeah. There'll be be a clip. Some nasty media person will send a a poignant email. They won't send them to me because they know the response, but Clark, you've got one and PG will probably cop a phone call and... We've got a huge, a huge debrief of the first round of the Supercar Championship in next week's auto action. PG and I, we've worked on some stories. We've got a full magazine. You need to give us some more pages, Bruce. Um, so that's next week. There's plenty to talk about. We've got Grand Prix. We can talk about Oscar. We can talk about what's going on at local motor racing. There is tons going on, and auto action is on right there. Beautiful. So that's it for the auto action rev limiter. Thanks, PG. Talk soon. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Neville. We'll see you next week. Oh, yeah, Neville. That voice that chips in every so often is what we call producer Nev. Producer Nev. <laughs> he jumps in every so often when he thinks we're being dickheads. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 News know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 in the build up to the 1,000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.